This morning we are beginning a new journey, one that will take us through the book of 1 Peter. So we will be in 1 Peter for the next several weeks. This morning we're going to be, of course, in chapter 1. We are going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. And you will probably remember that throughout the Philippian sermon series, every time that we started one of those particular sermons, there were two pieces of information that we would review. One was the context, the other was the theme that appeared over and over throughout that particular book. And, you know, we're going to do the same thing as we're in this particular sermon series. We will start each time by looking at the context of the book of First Peter, and also we will look at what the recurring theme is. But before we get there this morning, before we get there, I want to tell you just a few things about the book of First Peter that I think is important for us to know as we begin this journey. First of all, it is a letter. And you'll probably remember that uh, the Philippians sermon series, Philippians was a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians who were located at the church in Philippi. Well, the book of First Peter is also a letter, but it wasn't written to people who were located in one particular place. Instead, this, this particular book is known as, it's, although it is a letter, it's known as a circulating letter. And it was written by Peter. He wrote it to the Christians who were scattered across Asia Minor, particularly in the area of the world that we currently know as modern-day Turkey. But even with that, it, it would have been like writing a letter to, let's just say, some region of the United States of America. The people that lived in that particular region, they're not all located in one central place. So in order for Peter to get this letter to the people, it had to circulate from one person to another. Now, the other thing that I want you to be aware of as we think of the scripture that is the book of the Bible that we know as First Peter. When Peter wrote this, it was in a, in a time of unrest. It was uh, political unrest, social unrest, and then persecution was occurring to the Christians. Persecution was occurring. Now, of course, you, I'm sure you figured out by this point that the person who wrote this letter is the Apostle Peter. Now, you have heard me say before that as we look at Scripture through, to the life of Peter, most of the time we don't have to wonder what he's thinking because he says it out loud. He says it quickly. Um, but that's just some things to keep in mind about this book. So now let's look at the context Again, it was written by Peter to believers in Asia Minor, and it was written between A.D. 60 and A.D. 67. Now, the recurring theme is a little bit harder to take. It's a little harder to hear. But as we read throughout the book of 1 Peter, and you will see this happen over and over again the next several weeks, this theme appears, and it's that believers... Obviously, believers in Jesus Christ, we should follow the example that Jesus has given us. And we should do that by joyfully enduring persecution. It's hard to hear, isn't it? It's hard to take. It's hard to process. And you might even be asking the question this morning, so, Brother Todd, how is that possible 
How is it possible that we can follow the example that Christ gave us and that we can joyfully endure persecution all at the same time? Well, we have various examples from Scripture of people that did just that. But I will tell you, it is only possible through a true relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the way that it is possible. So this morning, I'd like, I'd like for us to hear this text in its entirety. Again, First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. And if you are physically able to stand right now, I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I want to remind you that this is indeed God's Word. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Father, now, for these next few minutes, I pray that you will show me favor as I preach this message that you've placed on my heart. Lord, I pray that your anointing will be upon my life from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Lord, may I preach this text completely and correctly. Father, may I point them to you and to the cross. Father, as we begin to look at persecution, persecution that is coming, Father, I pray that we will be known as people who will joyfully endure persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray especially for people here this morning that are hearing my voice in the sanctuary, for people who are hearing my voice on the live stream or on the radio who might not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, may this be the day that we see salvation in this place. And Father, for what you'll do, we give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. Amen. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is Christ, Our Living Hope. 
Christ, our living hope. Now, as you would probably suspect, since we are dealing with a letter, that's what this particular book, First Peter, is. It's a letter. It shouldn't come as a surprise. I doubt it comes as a surprise to anyone that Peter would start this with a greeting. So he begins, at the very beginning, he identifies himself, Peter. And he identifies himself that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're thinking, why would he do that? That seems like an unusual way to start a letter. Well, the reason that he did that, remember, false teaching was going on during this time period. And guess what? False teaching still happens today. It's unfortunate, but it happens all of the time today. Always remember that you have the responsibility to take what you hear and compare it to the Word of God, to be certain that what you're hearing is correct, that what you're hearing is supported by the Word of God. And one of the things you've heard me say over and over, it is so important that we know God's Word. That is the chief way that we will know when we're hearing something that is false, is if we know for sure what God's Word says. And the way that we start to learn what God's Word says, we've got to spend time with the Word. We've got to spend time in the Word. It's got to be a part of our daily lives. And I just want to challenge you this morning, if, if you don't currently have a time devoted in your day where you spend time alone with God, where you are reading His Word and communing with Him, I want to challenge you to start. It will be the best moments of your day. I will guarantee you that. There are days that are tough days. And I look back and I try to think, how would those days have been had I not started it with God? How would they have been had I not started it with God? So if you're not in the Word, if you're not in the Word daily, I want, to, I want to challenge you to do that. And so, right here in these first two verses, again, Peter is including this in his greeting, and he mentions this term, sprinkling with his blood. Now, remember, where he has, he has wrote this to people who are located in the part of the world that is known um, as Turkey. And this particular group that he knows will read the letter contains both Jews and Gentiles. And then, just like right in the middle of that, he includes this phrase, the sprinkling with his blood. Well, when he did that, he knew that they would understand what he was talking about. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, Christians indeed have a living Hope. He knew that they would get that. And I want to ask us this morning, like right near the beginning, do we personally have that same hope? And the answer can only be yes is if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a true relationship with Jesus. Does his blood cover you? Now, in the remainder of our text this morning, we are going to, in fact, be looking at just this broad concept of Christ provides our living hope. Christ provides our living hope. Christ provides 
all living hope. That's what the remainder of our text this morning is going to be focusing on. And again, I want to ask you, do you have that living hope? If you don't, you can have it today before you leave this place. Now, right now, I've got verses 3 through 5 on the screen. Hopefully, you're looking in your Bible uh, at this point. But if you're, if you're not, please look at the screen. I want to tell you, these three verses are absolutely packed full. In fact, this sermon could have only been these three verses of Scripture. It is that rich. So I want you to hear these three verses one more time. And I'm going to be pointing out key words, important phrases as I read. So let's hear again the word of the Lord in verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfaded, it's being kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm serious when I say this morning that this entire sermon could have only included these three verses. And we probably still wouldn't have got finished if we looked at these three verses in their totality this morning. But when we look at this, I, w- I want to just point out that through Jesus Christ, we have that living hope. It is only in him that that is possible. But then I want to talk about this concept of an inheritance for just a moment this morning. Let's suppose that right here on this earth that you have received an inheritance. You've had a family member that died and they have left you everything that they have. And let's just assume for a moment that it's substantial. You have just inherited property. You have inherited a lot of money. And it's yours. You've gone through the process. It is officially yours now. Now, I want to tell you what you do with that. It's really up to you. If you choose to spend it all the very first day that you have it, that's your prerogative. You could. It would probably not be a wise decision, but you could. If you chose to sell all of the property on day one, you could. It might or might not be a wise decision, but you could do that. And if you made those two decisions that I've just described, what happens to your inheritance? It's it's perished right before your eyes. It is perished right before your eyes. But I want to make certain that we understand that the inheritance that's being talked about in these verses this morning, it's not like that. It's imperishable. It's not going to go away. You cannot spend it now, nor can you lose it now. You cannot It will not perish. It cannot be defiled. It will not fade. It's being kept in heaven for who? For you. That's where it is. And then who by God's power? God's power is guarding it through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is wonderful news this morning. It should cause us to rejoice. Now, since this is a new sermon series, and given what's coming in the rest of our text this morning, I want to remind you one more time what the common theme, the recurring theme of this particular book is. 
It's that believers should follow Christ's example by joyfully enduring persecution. So with that in mind, look at what word appears. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Does that word sound familiar? Throughout the entire sermon series of Philippians, we talked about Paul and how he modeled joy, how he rejoiced in and through his circumstances. I pointed out to you multiple times that it was Paul who wrote 1 Thessalonians where he says that we should rejoice always, that we should pray without ceasing, and that we should give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That was Paul that said that. That was Paul that we saw modeled that. Well, look. Now we're in another sermon series on another book of the Bible. It's not written by Paul. It's written by Peter. And what's he telling us to do? Rejoice. Why would he do that? Well, here's the answer. It's because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. That is what we are supposed to do as Christians. That joy is to be evident. It's to be evident. Even when we face trials. Even when we face persecution. That joy is evident. You know, as I was growing up, I was, I've been thinking a lot about VBS this week. And what, can we just say VBS has improved a lot over the years? It's, it's changed a lot over the years in general. I think it's improved. But I also loved it when I was growing up. And, you know, one of the songs we sang every year was this. It said this. I'm not going to sing it right now, but you'll know the song. It says, I've got that joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. What? Down in my heart to stay. Do we? Do we? As people observe our daily lives, would they say we've got joy? Or would they say something else? Now remember, life's not easy. Life's not always fair. But in that moment, if we, ha- if we are truly a child of God, we can make the choice that we're going to rejoice. And that's the, that's the example that we should be setting, setting for the people who are watching. And then I want to give you some good news. Right here still in verse 6, even though this theme of persecution is presenting itself, Peter is very intentional to point out that it's for a little while. Now, can I ask you a question this morning? When we are going through trials, when we are going through hard times, when we are going through things that we may or may not understand, does it usually seem like it's a little while? It doesn't, does it? It seems like it's forever. But can I tell you something? It's not It is not forever. When we look at the length of the trial versus the length of eternity, our trials really are only for a little while. And I hope that going forward as we experience trials, as we experience challenges, that we will look at that through the lens of eternity and realize that these trials truly are temporary. They're only for a little while. And that is wonderful, wonderful news. And then Paul talks about this testing process in verse 7. And the thing that gets tested, I want to be sure that you don't miss it, 
Verse 7, what's getting tested here is whether or not our faith is genuine. That's hard to hear too, isn't it? Whether or not our faith is tested. And then he talks about this refining process of gold and how after, it, after that gold goes through the refining process, it comes out better. It comes out stronger after it's endured the refining process. I want to tell you, that's exactly how we can find ourselves coming out of the trial as well. We can find ourselves coming out of that trial as better people, as stronger people, but only if our eyes are on Jesus, only if we are seeking His will, only if we are doing what He says. And I want to remind you this morning, maybe just to just give you something to think about. If it were possible to live this Christian life without any type of trial, and by the way, it's not, at least no way that I know of is it possible to live the Christian life without ever experiencing any type of trial. But let's just assume for a moment that it were possible. So where in that equation would our faith fit in? You know, faith is to... To believe in something that we can't see, right? To believe in that. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, have you ever seen the wind? Not one of us have ever seen the wind with our eyes. Now, our eyes have seen a lot of effects of the wind lately. I think we'd all agree with that. But not one of our eyes have physically seen the wind. But we know that it's there, don't we? when we feel it blowing on our face, when we see the destruction that happens sometimes, we know that the wind is there. And you know, we have the opportunity as we go through trials, as we go through persecution, we have the, the potential of coming out of that, having our faith strengthened in Jesus Christ because we've relied on Him through the storm. We've got to rely on Him before the storm, during the storm, and after the storm. And if we do that, we see that our faith will be increased, even though we are tested. Now, as we move along in our text this morning, it just continues the same thought that I've just given you about the wind. None of us have seen the wind, but we know that it's real. Not one of us have seen Jesus either face-to-face yet. Yeah, the day's coming where we are going to see Him face-to-face, but it ha- that day has not arrived yet. But even though we haven't seen Him face-to-face, can I tell you this morning, I believe in Him. I know He's real. And then it says, and rejoice. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Does that remind you of that old song? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told and it hasn't. The half has never yet been told. But we, here's this joy, this concept of joy again. We should be at that level of joy that we just can't contain ourselves. We can't express ourselves. There's not enough words in our vocabulary to express the type of joy that we've experienced through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now, these prophets, for a long time, they wrote down their prophecies. But can I remind you, they didn't know who the Messiah was. They didn't know when the Messiah was coming. But here's what we know about them. They were faithful to do what they were supposed to do. They wrote down their prophecies, even though they didn't know who the Messiah was or when he was coming. And look at the ending of verse 11. They predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now just imagine how, how remarkable that that really is. They lived years before Jesus appeared on the scene. But we can read in various places of the Old Testament, they prophesied correctly that a Messiah was coming. They just didn't know who it was or when it was, but they did what they were supposed to do. And talking about suffering, I tell you, the next time that you're going through something that you don't understand, I want to just challenge you to remember for a moment what Jesus endured for each of us on the cross. And then suddenly our suffering doesn't look nearly as bad. Because no matter how severe our suffering is, it doesn't come close to what Jesus endured for us on the cross. And that is wonderful, wonderful news this morning. Now in the last verse of our text, I want to end on a place this morning that might surprise you. And the first time that I read through our text for today, this didn't actually jump out at me. It took three or four times for me reading it. And you know, so many times, don't you find that to be true? Maybe you're somebody who has read God's Word your entire lifetime. You may pick up God's Word today, and it may minister to you differently today than it did yesterday or the last time that you read a certain passage of Scripture. And I want to tell you that the reason that can happen is because God's Word is inspired. It is not like reading a novel. He can use His divine Word that is without error to minister to you in a different way today, possibly because of something you're going through today that you weren't going through the last time you read a certain passage. But let's hear verse 12. It was revealed to them, talking about these prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, but through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here's where I want to land for just a moment this morning. These prophets didn't serve themselves. Who did they serve? You. They wrote down their prophecies. And it turned out it was for us. They weren't serving themselves. And so here's the question I want us to, I guess, leave with today. Who are we serving? Who are we serving individually? 
As a church, who are we serving? Are we serving others? Or are we serving ourselves? If we're serving ourselves, I'll just tell you that's the wrong answer. That is the wrong answer. We're supposed to be serving Christ and serving others. And I pray that that's exactly what others will see that we're doing. I pray that when others look at this church, that they will see a reflection of Jesus Christ. I pray that they will see the body of people within this congregation serving like Jesus served. Loving like Jesus loved. Standing firm on the Scriptures. Standing firm on the Scriptures. That's what I pray that people see when they look at this church. So I wonder this morning, as, as we think about just this topic of joyfully enduring persecution, is that what we do? Let me tell you, that's, that's what we will do. I'm convinced, I am absolutely convinced that if we live long enough and Jesus doesn't come back first, we will see real persecution right here in the area of the world where we live. It's not just for other parts of the world. It will be here. What will happen when that day arrives? I pray that we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that we press on, pointing everyone, warning everyone, teaching everyone about the power of Jesus Christ. That's what I pray that we will be doing. And perhaps you're here this morning and you are asking the question, well, how does a person accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? You know, this VBS, just like every VBS, we, we share the gospel. We do. And I will say, I think for many years, adults have gotten it wrong. We have made the process of someone coming to Christ way more difficult than it was ever intended to be. Instead, I feel like it's as simple that a child can understand it. I really do believe that. It's the ABCs of salvation, the ABCs of Christianity. We'll be teaching this this week. The A means we've got to admit that we're a sinner. We've got to be willing to do that. We've got to be willing to admit that there's things in our lives called sin that don't please God. Those things have caused a separation between us and God. The B stands for we've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that every word the Bible says about Him is true, that He loved us so much that He was willing to die for us on that cross to suffer that type of persecution. He did that because He loved us so much. But the great news, if that is not great news enough, it gets even better. He didn't stay dead. His body was removed from the cross. It was placed in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose. That tomb is empty. He is alive today. He is alive today. That's the reason we celebrate Easter. And then the C stands for confess. We've, in this process, we've got to repent of our sins, and part of that process involves turning and walking away from that life of sin. Remember, Jesus issued this statement to people, go and sin no more. He didn't say stay where you are. He said go and sin no more. He says the same thing to us today. I wonder this morning, do you know him? today. If not, there would be no finer day. There would be no finer day 
to let someone introduce you to Jesus. I would be happy to do that today. There are many people here this morning that would be happy to do that. Eternity is long. This life is uncertain. But what can be certain is, well, what is certain is eternity because we're going to spend it in one of two places. There's no in-between. Our eternity will either be spent in heaven with Jesus or it will be spent in hell. One of those two places. I wonder this morning, where will you spend your eternity? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for just how rich your word is. Father, I pray that you will move mightily during this time of invitation this morning. Lord, I pray that you will do great and mighty things. Lord, I pray that we will see people saved and set free this morning during this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that, that people will come forward and use the altar. Lord, I pray that, that it, this morning during this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that it will just be a beautiful time of just how deeply, of us showing how deeply that you love us and as a result, how deeply that we love others. Father, I pray that especially for us, for this church, for those days when persecution comes. Lord, I pray that we will stand fast upon your word. Lord, I pray that we will not be swayed to the left or to the right by the things of the world. Lord, but I pray that our eyes will be fixed upon you and I pray that we will press on towards you pointing everyone to you until that day that you call us home. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.